It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday while we bring you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio and on the KJAC Sports Spotify app. We've got a loaded show today, Monday Night Football, otherwise known as a snooze fest. The difference between the Cowboys and the Seahawks and Javon Wims punches C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But before we get into all of that, I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Is it time to worry in Green Bay? Now, this Sunday, the Green Bay Packers fell to the Minnesota Vikings 28-22 to in a game that they didn't really have complete control of, but they definitely could have won early on. Now, the big reason I think they could have won this game early on is because at 14-14, the Packers showed that their offense was able to go and their defense was solid enough to stop the Vikings in the first half. But offensively during the second half, the Packers had a real tough time putting points on the board and it became a real problem. Dalvin Cook ran all over Green Bay and the run D has been non-existent for the last couple of weeks. After rushing for 163 yards, three rushing touchdowns with 60 receiving yards and a receiving touchdowns, four touchdowns in total, Dalvin Cook made light work of the Green Bay Packers defense. And the thing is, it's not like the Packers didn't know what was coming. Kirk Cousins threw the ball 14 times and Dalvin Cook ran the ball 30 times. I mean, it was Dalvin Cook's game. He was going to run the ball and there wasn't much of a disguise as far as the Vikings went. They ran the ball right down the throat of the Green Bay Packers, and the Packers had no way of stopping it. They just had no way of stopping it. Now, I think a big issue that this Packers team is facing is during the offseason, when most of the teams competing for Super Bowls got better, the Green Bay Packers didn't move in the right direction. Now, their first-round draft pick, even though they have some real positions of need, went to quarterback Jordan Love. And Jordan Love's a talented quarterback, and I understand if the Packers want to move on from Aaron Rodgers in the next couple years and have their replacement ready and waiting, and I see the talent that Jordan Love possesses and the ability that he has, but when a Green Bay Packers team makes it to the NFC Championship game last year, you expect them to try to move in the right direction and get players who can help them immediately competing for that Super Bowl. With their first pick, they drafted a quarterback. In their second pick, they drafted A.J. Dillon. There's nothing wrong with A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon's a good running back, but the problem is the Packers didn't need a running back. They already had Aaron Jones, and they already have Jamal Williams. That's been their one-two punch, and even with A.J. Dillon in the mix, he's really not gotten too much of a chance. So it's been Jamal Williams. It's been Aaron Jones. Those have been the two running backs they've been relying on. And even with Aaron Jones hurt, they've still been going with Jamal Williams. So the first two draft picks that the Green Bay Packers made didn't help this team get better. And it's a big time issue when you have some real positions of need. What's the bigger problem? The Rundy, which has been abysmal all season long. We saw against the Vikings five and a half yards per carry for Dalvin Cook. He completely dismantled that defense. Or is it the receiving corps, which the Packers have had real issues with over the last couple of years? I mean, Devontae Adams is great, but once you get past Devontae Adams, there's just not too much talent. I mean, Robert Tanyan has stepped up as a better tight end, and I have high hopes for him. But behind that, you have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who 
has a drop problem. Equinemius St. Brown, who's been injured most of his career, and when he was on the field against the Vikings, he had a problem with dropping. I mean, he had a touchdown opportunity, and he really gave it up. And that was the bigger issue for the Green Bay Packers. But the Green Bay Packers didn't address either of these issues. I mean, they did get some middle linebackers during the draft in the later rounds. They did try to focus on that, which is a good enough attempt. They, they ended up drafting a guy named Chris Barnes, who has stepped up, who has played decently well. But, I mean, they haven't really gotten a real run stopper. And with Kamal Martin also stepping in, they were hoping that these two young middle linebackers could step in and really help the run game. But relying on two middle linebackers who are both extremely young to try to take over as, as your run stoppers isn't the best idea. I mean, Kenny Clark has been their run stopper the last couple of years, and it's been a big issue. Kenny Clark, one of the better run stopping defensive tackles in the NFL, isn't able to make the run stops when he's being double teamed. The defensive line for the Green Bay Packers, although they have some good pass rushers in Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith, they have some good ability on that line. They don't have anybody who's capable of stopping the run. And this was something that they could have addressed during the draft, during free agency, and not what they did. They decided to go for the future, to get their quarterback, to get their running back of the future. And I think it had to have been the wrong decision for them. Now, I think the Vikings are a team that still have a path to the playoffs. Even though they are two and five, they have looked like at least a relatively good team and have kept close with some really talented teams like the Titans losing by a point, losing to the Vikings by a point, or the Seahawks by a point as well. That's two games that they really could have won. I think the Vikings still have a path to the playoffs, but they have to rely on that run game. I mean, if Dalvin Cook is playing as good as he played against the Packers, there's no reason to stop feeding him the ball. Now, obviously, an injury is a concern for Dalvin Cook as he's already been injured this season. He's had injury problems throughout his career. But when you have a guy this talented and your offense really is pretty stagnant with the passing game, you have to go to the running game. Now, the reason the Vikings beat the Packers is because they took the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands. They didn't give Kirk Cousins the opportunity to make mistakes. And because of that, the Vikings were mistake free all game long. They fumbled the ball or they didn't fumble the ball one time. They didn't have any interceptions. They kept the ball in their possession the entire game. And the only time that they gave it back to the Packers was on punts where they put them into pretty rough field position. So Minnesota looked like a really good team, looked like a better team. But they really match up well with that Green Bay Packers roster. Obviously, their run defense is one of the roughest in the NFL, but going up against the Packers for the second time in the year, the Vikings looked like they were ready to go. Now, I think the Packers are a team that will make the playoffs, but if they end up stumbling, if they end up having a hard time as the season goes on, they could be on the outside looking in. Now, I don't think that there's going to be a team from the NFC North that makes it into that wild card spot. There's three wild card spots, and I think all three of those spots are going to the NFC West and the NFC South. New Orleans and Tampa Bay both look like they're teams that are going to make the playoffs, and then Seattle, Arizona, and the Rams all look like teams making the playoffs. But the Vikings have a path if they want to win the NFC North. Now, they have a relatively tough schedule, but they have a schedule that is winnable. Next week, they have the Vikings, and if they win that game, they go to three and five. The week after, they face the Bears, another winnable game, followed by the 
Cowboys, the Panthers, and the Vikings. That's a bunch of winnable games in a row, and we could see this Vikings team, instead of being 2-5 and five like they are right now, at 5-5 five and five or 6-5. and five. And this is a very favorable schedule for the Minnesota Vikings, and they clearly have talent. Now, a big problem that the Vikings are going to have is they kind of traded away some of their better players, and they're really looking at more of a rebuild year. At least that's what it was looking like a few weeks ago. So if they don't figure out whether they're tanking or whether they're going for a playoff spot, I think that the Vikings are still going to be a little bit short. Their path is there, but they need the Packers to tumble. And although the Packers haven't looked great the last couple weeks, their only losses come against some decently talented teams. The Buccaneers, who dismantled the Packers, and the Vikings, who ran all over the Packers. I think the Packers have a, a path to the playoffs, and I think their path is the easiest. And because of that, I think they're going to still make the playoffs, but I'd be worried about Green Bay. They don't have the growth that we wanted to see from them over last year to this year. And teams that are competing for the Super Bowl, like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, have made significant strides in the right direction. And they're trying to get better and better while the Packers are staying the same and building for the future. So I think the Packers have a lot to worry about, but the playoffs are still in reach. Aaron Rodgers is still a top-tier quarterback in the NFL, even against the Minnesota Vikings defense that kind of shut them down. He had 291 yards and three touchdowns, but that wasn't enough. Even when Aaron Rodgers is as talented as he is, it wasn't enough for this Green Bay Packers team. So the Packers really have something to figure out. Aaron Jones needs to come back. The reason being is this running game wasn't stagnant without Aaron Jones, but Four and a half yards per carry for Jamal Williams compared to five and a half for Aaron Jones is a big difference. And Aaron Jones has been one of the better running backs, not only in the Packers offense, but in the NFL the last couple of years. He's a missed part of this offense, and he should be back next week. He should be back next week against the San Francisco 49ers, which will be a much needed re-addition. The reason being is A.J. Dillon just po tested positive for coronavirus, He's going to miss the game on Thursday. And the Packers, who have been playing with A.J. Dillon, are going to have some issues as far as practicing. Are they going to be able to get into the facility? Are they going to be able to practice before Thursday night football? I just don't think so. And the 49ers, they match up with them really well. The 49ers running game is one of their strongest parts. They have a good offensive line, good run blocking, and the Packers really haven't been able to get the 49ers numbers the last couple of years. So I think this Thursday night football is going to be really telling for this Green Bay Packers team. They need to figure out the run, but with not much time to prepare and not much time to get ready for Thursday, as they won't really have the practice ability that they were hoping for, I'm not sure they can match up with this 49ers team. And honestly, I'm not even sure this Thursday night football game is going to go down as A.J. Dillon, who is a player for the Packers, who is getting playtime, who has had about five rushes last game, test positive with coronavirus, who knows who else is going to test positive? Who knows what else is going to do for the Packers in relation to Thursday night football? We'll keep you updated on that. We're also going to talk about Thursday night football on Thursday morning. So make sure to tune in when we talk about a deep dive into the Packers 49ers matchup. But I'm going to take a quick break when I come back. Monday night football preview 
looks like a snooze fest. Stay tuned. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are facing off with the New York Giants on Monday Night Football, and this game is really not too exciting. The Buccaneers have shown they are a really talented, really good team, while the Giants have shown that they're one of the worst. Now, how long will the Giants hold on to Daniel Jones? It's a big question that I'm asking before this game. So far this season, Daniel Jones has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Five touchdowns, seven interceptions has been a big concern for Daniel Jones. But the biggest problem that Daniel Jones has is his turnover problem. The seven interceptions are bad. The five to seven touchdown to interception ratio is bad. But the real issue that Daniel Jones has is with his fumbling. He had fum five fumbles so far this year, four fumbles lost. And last year, he led the league with 18 total fumbles. That is unacceptable for a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who sits in the pocket and whenever he, nearly whenever he gets hurt, he seems to be fumbling the football. I mean, the protection that he has on the football has just been abysmal all season long. It just hasn't been there. And the New York Giants have suffered because of it. Now, the New York Giants aren't a bad team because of Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones definitely doesn't help the situation. They don't have a running game anymore after Saquon Barkley went down with a torn ACL. They don't really have a passing game as our wide receiver corpse is a little bit weak. Darius Slayton has been their number one. Evan Ingram has looked really bad this season. I mean, the Giants all around have looked really bad. And defensively, Blake Martinez has really been one of their only quality defensive players. I mean, James Bradbury, he's stepped up and has done a good work on his new contract, but Outside of that, this Giants defense has been really rough. And when matching up against a Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense ran by Tom Brady, I expect this Giants defense to get picked apart. Now, when they were playing the Giants just a few weeks ago, Dak Prescott started off the game. That was the one where he got hurt. But after he left the game, Andy Dalton was perfect. Nine for 11, 111 yards. This offense was, was moving, and the Giants had really no way of stopping it. Now, put in a better quarterback, put in a more talented offensive line, put in a better defense, and you've got a blowout in my books. The New York Giants are not in a position where they need to win this game. They're not fighting for a playoff spot. They're really looking for positioning for the NFL draft. In my opinion, if they get to the NFL draft and they have a top five pick, a top 10 pick, which at this point, I presume they will have. They're one of the only one-win teams in the NFL. They're at the very bottom of the barrel right next to the New York Jets. If they end up with one of those top picks, I think it's time to move on from Daniel Jones. Now, I know it'll be quick to move on from Daniel Jones, and Dave Gettleman, the general manager for the New York Giants, most likely won't move on from him as he was completely committed to Daniel Jones with the 10th overall draft pick. I just don't think Daniel Jones has shown enough to stick around. I mean, it's the same case with Josh Rosen, who at this point in the in his career really is bouncing around teams, hasn't found a spot to sit, hasn't found a spot to de develop his skills. I think the same thing is going to be said for Daniel Jones, who just won't be able to hang around. I mean, the difference between NFL football and college football is huge. And Daniel Jones, who's got such a big turnover problem and had such a big turnover problem in college, hasn't been able to grow, hasn't been able to develop at the NFL level. I mean, he's still fumbling the football. And anytime he gets hurt or gets hit seemingly, it's, it, it, 
it's a worry that he's going to fumble the football. And the Giants have to be concerned about that all season long. You know, I think the Bucs are a safe bet to win this game. They're top to bottom a better team. I mean, offensively, they have some insane weapons. And I know Chris Godwin is hurt and Antonio Brown isn't going to be making his appearance this week because he still is suspended. But they have talented players like Scotty Miller, who seemingly has been the number one target for Tom Brady all season long. He's leading the team in yards. They also have Rob Gronkowski and a talented tight end corpse, including Cameron Brake. I think this Buccaneers offense has really never looked this well put together. And with Tom Brady playing some really good football, 18 touchdowns to four interceptions, this Buccaneers team looks ready to completely outmatch the New York Giants. Now defensively is where the Buccaneers have been really talented the last couple of years. Their linebacking corps is absolutely insane. They're leading tackler and their leading sacker on the team or one of their leading sackers on the team, Devin White has been absolutely a stud and Levante David has been great as well. Their defensive backs have been a little bit weaker, but they're getting better. And I think this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is not only ready for a deep playoff push, I think they're the best bet in the NFC South. The Saints have the same type of high flying offense and talent to defense as the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers have just looked like a, full-on better team. Offensively, they've put about the same amount of points on the board, but defensively, Tampa Bay has been locked down. And the difference between the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the defense. New Orleans Saints have had talented players like Marshawn Lattimore. They've had talented players like Cameron Jordan. They're really not showing up as much this year. And on the other side, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have looked absolutely talented. They've looked like they've had the best defense in the NFL outside of maybe the Colts and the Steelers. This is a playoff ready team and this Monday night football game isn't going to be one to remember. The Bucs are just going to shut out the Giants. It's going to be a bad game. The Bucs are going to put up a bunch of points and they're not going to allow too many. And I think by the second or third quarter, we're going to realize this game is over. Now, I think the Bucs win this game by a safe margin Uh, But I'm not sure if they get that 12. Uh, They're favored by 12 points. I'm not sure if they can make up for those 12 points as they have had a little bit of difficulty beating up on some of the worst teams. But against the New York Giants, against Daniel Jones, I expect there to be mistakes. I expect there to be errors on Daniel Jones' part. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers will take advantage of it early. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about the difference between the Cowboys and the Seahawks the last few years. Stay tuned. The Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks both started off this season as potential Super Bowl caliber teams. Now the Seahawks are still Super Bowl contenders and the Cowboys are sputtering. They're fringe playoff team at best in the worst division in football. They fall into two and six and they look like one of the worst teams in the NFL. But what's the difference between these two teams? Because Both of these two teams both had such high expectations to start. Both of these two teams both have such talented roster. The Seahawks with MVP caliber players like Russell Wilson, a strong receiver course with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and a pretty decent running back in Chris Carson. Now on the other side, the Cowboys, they have Dak Prescott, who has taken real steps forward in the last couple of years. 
They have Ezekiel Elliott, one of the more talented running backs in the NFL, and their wide receiver corps made up of Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Gallup is one of the top receiver corps in the NFL and could be the top if it wasn't for the new corps in Tampa Bay. Now I want to talk about why the Cowboys have fallen to 2-6 and six and why the Seahawks are 6-1. and one. Because both of these teams, I mean, on paper, look like they could compete for a Super Bowl, look like they could be talented, talented rosters. But the difference being is the leadership. Leadership at the top, the head coaching and the general manager position are the reason that this team, this Dallas Cowboys team is sputtering. They're the reason that this team has not made it have not come up to their expectations, have not shown up to their expectations the last few years. I mean, Russell Wilson was hurt or was hit from from Jimmy Ward yesterday in the San Francisco 49ers game. He took a really tough shot to the head and immediately the Seattle offense, the offensive line retaliated. They surrounded Russell Wilson. They went after Jimmy Ward and they showed that they wanted to protect their quarterback. Now, the Cowboys just a week before, or a couple weeks before, saw Andy Dalton take a big-time hit from John Bostick, a big-time hit. He went down, and he was down on the ground for a while with a pretty bad concussion that he missed this, this week with. But we didn't see any sort of retaliation. We didn't see anybody coming to protect their quarterback. Now, I know the difference between Russell Wilson and Andy Dalton is huge, and The Cowboys may not believe in Andy Dalton as their quarterback, but the deal is he is their quarterback. With with Dak Prescott down and hurt and the Cowboys relying on Andy Dalton as their starting quarterback, there's no reason they shouldn't have retaliated. There's no reason they shouldn't have gotten out and protected their quarterback, but they didn't. And I think the the reason being is the leadership on this team, Mike McCarthy as the head coach and Jerry Jones, the general manager, doesn't preach and doesn't show that they think that they need to be playing that hard. And if they're not playing hard, which the Cowboys haven't been playing hard all season long, they're going to have issues. Now, the difference is Wilson, he's an MVP front runner. The Seahawks are six and one and the Cowboys are falling to two and six. And yes, they've had injuries and that's been a huge concern for them. They've had a lot of guys go down. They're starting quarterback Dak Prescott. They've lost a bunch of offensive linemen. They traded Everson Griffin. I mean, this team has has taken a lot of big blows, but Seahawks have also been really bad on that defensive side. They've really shown that offensively is where they've relied on, and, and they can really show up offensively. Now, the Dallas Cowboys have not had these injury concerns the last couple of years, and they've still been the same team. They've still been falling short of the playoffs. They've still not made it as deep as their expectations have shown them. And that's a big time problem for this Dallas Cowboys team. And I don't think this is going to be solved until Jerry Jones is out of that building. Until Jerry Jones is no longer the general manager of this team, the Cowboys are still going to struggle. Mike McCarthy is barely a head coach there. He's more of a puppet that Jerry Jones can use for whatever he wants. And and that's the reason Mike McCarthy's back in the NFL so soon. That's the reason that this team is not showing that they have that sort of commitment to their quarterback, to their players, because they don't even have commitment to their coach or their general manager. The Cowboys don't have a commitment to playing the game, and it's shown. They have no reason to go out onto the field and play football because 
They're not going to win. They're not going to make the playoffs. The rest of the team's not trying. Why should they try? Their quarterback goes down with a big-time hit. No retaliation because there's no positive thing to come out of that for the Cowboys players. I mean, what do you get if you're a Cowboys offensive lineman and you see Andy Dalton, your backup quarterback, go down with an injury? If you go and retaliate, you try to separate John Bostic, you may end up with a fine. Now, I'm not defending the Cowboys for not protecting and not doing anything to stop Andy Dalton from getting hit. I think it was awful. I think the Cowboys should have protected and I think they should have retaliated. But I'm trying to find the reasoning for it. And the reasoning is they don't care. There's no care in the world on that Cowboys team. And the coach, they don't care. They don't care for Mike McCarthy. General manager, who knows if he cares? I mean, Jerry Jones is clearly loves this Cowboys team. He clearly has been trying to get them their Super Bowl. He's been trying his hardest, but soon enough, he needs to figure out that he's hurting them more than he's helping them. I mean, he's not putting together a talented enough defense to coexist with his offense, which hasn't really been able to show up recently either. Obviously, without their starting quarterback, it's going to be rough, but other teams have been able to make do without a starting quarterback. And the Cowboys, who were supposed to be one of the more talented defensive pass rushers in the league this year, with Everson Griffin, Marcus Lawrence, Alden Smith, who has been really good, all stepping up, they haven't. They just haven't gotten to the quarterback. They haven't gotten after the rushers. They haven't done anything positive all season long. And that's a big issue for this Dallas Cowboys team and one that isn't going to be solved until Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy are both gone. They need leadership that preaches confidence, that says that we are in this game not only to win it, but to prove something. And they haven't done that. The Cowboys have only proven one thing so far this season, and that's that they're not a playoff team. They're not who we thought they were. Now, Dak Prescott went down with an injury, but Ezekiel Elliott has still had a big-time issue running the football. One of the best running backs in the NFL who has relied on his offensive line a lot is having a real issue now that his offensive line is down. Not a huge surprise, but not great look for Ezekiel Elliott, who has been looked at as one of the top guys. I think this Cowboys team is in the process of completely falling apart. And this offseason deal that they have with Dak Prescott, whether they make that deal or not, is going to be very telling for the Cowboys' future. Are they going to rely on Dak Prescott, try to rebuild the, the team that they had this year and see if they can do it again? I mean, I just don't know what the path for Jerry Jones is. Defensively, he tried to make some, some building blocks, but they're one of the worst in the NFL. Offensively, they're hurt, but they haven't shown that they can really move the football. Now, I think the Seahawks are a Super Bowl caliber team, and I expect them to make the Super Bowl this year. The Cowboys, on the other hand, are going to be drafting top 10. They're not going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be fighting for potentially the NFC East with a bad Eagles team, and eventually I think they're going to fall short. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, Javon Wims punches C.J. Gardner-Johnson. How did that happen? Stay tuned. Javon Wims punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson in the middle of the Bears-Saints game this Sunday, and it was a play that really didn't make too much sense. Now, I want to rewind to the first possession of the second half where C.J. Gardner-Johnson ripped out Javon Wims' mouthpiece. Now, this isn't means or grounds for punching him. I'm just trying to get a, a little bit of a storyline going for why this happened. 
why did C.J. Gardner-Johnson get punched by Javon Wims? Well, it all started with Javon Wims ripping out the mouthpiece of C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Later on in the game, we see C.J. Gardner-Johnson poking Anthony Miller in the face. Last year, we saw C.J. Gardner-Johnson talking trash about Tariq Cohen because of his height, making an, a gesture showing that he's shorter than most of the players on the field after Tariq Cohen ran through a couple of tackles. Now, all of this shows that this Bears team and this Saints team have ill will towards each other. Obviously, Javon Wims, who is a young player on this team, doesn't like C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But it doesn't really explain why he punched him in the helmet two times. First off, why are you punching somebody in the helmet? And that can't feel good. I know that C.J. Gardner-Johnson, once he got punched in the head, in the helmet, he just looked at him like he was crazy because you punched him in the helmet. He's not going to hurt him. You're going to hurt yourself way more than you hurt C.J. Gardner-Johnson by punching him in the helmet. Now, this isn't the first fight in Wims' career either. Last season in training camp, uh, Javon Wims got into a fight with his teammate, Prince Amukamara, in training camp. And I think this is a, a bad sign for the Bears moving forward. Not only has C.J. Gardner-Johnson repeatedly gotten inside of their head, and we've seen that C.J. Gardner-Johnson is a trash talker. He's gotten in other people's heads before, notably his own teammate, Michael Thomas. When Michael Thomas was suspended for a game for getting in a fight, punching C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But as far as I can tell, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is just a trash talker. And trash talk has a place in the game. They're going to be chippy. They're going to be talking back and forth between the wide receivers, the cornerbacks, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen. I mean, there's going to be trash talk. And I think when C.J. Gardner-Johnson ripped out the mouthpiece for Javon Wims, that did cross the line. That was too much. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson should have been at least penalized for it, which he wasn't. But there should have been at least some sort of penalty for him to prevent him from doing that. Obviously, after that play, Javon Wims went to the bench, and the next play that Javon Wims was on the field, he went after C.J. Gardner-Johnson, which means Javon Wims sat on the sideline for about 10, 15 minutes while the Saints had their offensive drive, and he sat there thinking about what he was going to do to C.J. Gardner-Johnson. And first thing he tried to do was rip out his mouthpiece. You can see in the punching video where he punched him in the head two times. The first thing he does is it looks like he was grabbing at his chain, but I'm pretty sure he grabbed at his mouthpiece and tried to rip it out. I'm not sure if he was successful with that, but he did end up trying to punch him in the helmet two times after that. And that's where the problem began. Now, I think the Bears should cut Javon Wims because of this situation. Now, I do think that there are situations where if you see a fight on the field, you should keep your player I mean, OBJ, when he was fighting Josh Norman, both of those guys were too talented to get rid of. But Javon Wims isn't in that same boat. He's not a top-tier wide receiver or cornerback. He's not going to make a difference if he's on the team or not. I mean, the Bears are going to be struggling with their wide receiver corps if he's their starting wide receiver anyways. But when you have a guy going out stupidly fighting and punching somebody in the helmet, you have an issue. And there's no place for that on a potential playoff team, especially on a potential playoff team. Now, obviously, if this was a struggling team like the New York Jets, it'd be something that may be passable because while they're struggling all around, they're frustrated. But the Bears are not a struggling team. 
they're starting out this season decently well at five and three, and they look like they are geared towards a playoff or wild card run. Now, I do think they are going to miss out on the playoffs, and this is just one of the reasons. They don't have discipline. Javon Wims sat on the sideline for 10 minutes, didn't get talked to by the coaches. Nobody told him, oh, don't worry about that guy. He was sat on the sideline thinking and processing what he was going to do to C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Now, good on C.J. Gardner-Johnson for getting inside of Javon Wims' head. Good on him for making him retaliate, for making him angry enough to get ejected from the game. Because that put the Saints team in much better situation. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson wasn't ejected. He wasn't thrown out of the game. He was left in the game, and the Saints ended up winning that game. Now, a big question I do have to ask, is the career for Javon Wims over? I mean, who wants a guy like Javon Wims who's punching people with helmets, which in itself is a bad idea. But why should the Bears hold on to him? He's been a backup caliber wide receiver his entire career. He's still young, but I mean, it's not, it's not a good look and it's not a, it's not a reason to keep somebody. I mean, when you see somebody do this, when you know that they're acting out, I mean, this is the second time Javon Wims has acted out. He is going to cost your team yards. He's going to cost your team games. And I don't know if he costed them the game in this one. He was ejected and they didn't miss out on his presence, but the bears are in a worse situation because of Javon Wims. And I think that if Matt Nagy truly does despise and not like what Javon Wims did, he needs to go ahead and cut him. He needs to go ahead and make a statement that he's not going to let that sort of actions stay on the field and stay on his team. Now Javon Wims is going to be fined. He's probably going to be suspended. There's going to be some sort of discipline for Javon Wims, but the biggest concern for Wims shouldn't be whether he gets fined. It shouldn't be whether he gets suspended. It's whether he gets cut and never signed again. Because if you see a guy doing that, why do you want him on your roster? What are the positives and the negatives for keeping Javon Wims? I think the negatives far outweigh the positives, at least at this point in his career. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he ended up losing his job over this fight. Now that's going to do it for Up for Debate today. Thank you very much for tuning in. And make sure you tune in every single weekday where I'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on the KJAC Sports Spotify app and on KJAC Radio. Also follow me on social media at the underscore Cade Reed, where I'll be bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, posting updates for the show, different things like that. So make sure to follow me there. But I will see you guys tomorrow where we talk about the NFL trade deadline. Stay tuned.